Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Welcome, welcome. I'm here live with Sherdine Flint. She is the mayor of Hyde Park and mother of five. She started out in planning and zoning, and then she was on the city council, and then she became mayor, and there's a really fun story behind that about how that started, so we're going to get to hear that story along with some other fun stories. Thanks for being here with us, Sherdine, very, very much. Let's dive right in. So happy to have you, and you should know the best part is she's my sister, so I'm very honored to be her sister. Okay, Shardine, let's start, let's just talk a little bit about your childhood, where you were born, kind of how you were raised, a little bit about, just about you, your background. Um, So I grew up until I was about 11 in a small town in southern Utah, Blanding, or as I like to refer to it as Mecca, because I have to go. Mecca. (laughs) Pilgrimage back there occasionally. Oh, very nice. Yes, it was a fantastic place to be a kid. I just wandered around town and had two grandparents that lived there and we just went back and forth between their houses. And it's funny to me because it seems to me, as I look back on it now, there was just, there was danger. I mean, not in my, for me personally as a child, but there were like plane accidents that I saw. That you Uh, saw? Uh, we had a, my parents had a friend that had an airplane and we were at a, at a park one time and the plane came flying over real low and then went straight up and stalled and <gasps> crashed. And my dad and his friend got in their truck and went running over there and pulled the guy out of the plane and, but he died. And, um, yes, there was, my dad had a uranium mine and my sister and I, used to go and swim in the water that they sucked out of the uranium mine, this gray uranium muddy water that we thought was so cool. And, we would <laughs> and you know, my dad drove a logging truck when I was little. And I remember him taking me with him on, and I was in this giant cab in this logging truck and we're driving up these narrow winding dirt roads. And he said to me, Okay, he said, if I tell you, if I say jump, you open up that door and you jump as far as you can out of this truck because that meant the brakes had gone out. And so he figured I'd be safer jumping out of than being in the truck with no brakes. And, uh, you know, and, and there was a guy that my, my dad, you know, in the ra- uranium mine, they used to hire one of the Navajos to keep guard over their stuff at night yeah. and they do not go in the mine well one guy did and went in the mine and the and the, the <gasps> collapsed and killed him i mean it's just funny to me there was just this sense and it's so different for kids nowadays and yeah. and for, for mothers you know one yeah. of the i think is that mothers are afraid to let their kids out you know because other mothers will comment, or why are you letting your child walk down the street alone? And 
I just compare my growing up. I mean, we just accepted that life was dangerous and, wow. you know, it was just the way it was. And now it's just kids today live such a sheltered and, you know, I don't know, they just are home so much and, and yeah. went and I mean, and my life was different. I mean, I, my dad and his brothers had trap lines when they were eight and 10 years old. What do you mean? And What's a trap line? They would trap animals. They would oh, set animal uh -huh. trap, uh -huh. traps and, uh -huh. and animals and skin them and sell the fur. I mean, you know, uh -huh. it was just, and my, my dad grew up in Blanding with an outhouse. I mean, you know, it wasn't, so my life wasn't that far removed from like a pioneer life almost. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's really interesting to me as I see the difference yeah. between my childhood. And I feel sad for, for mothers and children. It's a whole different world now. And I mean, there's good things about it. It's not all, it's not all bad, but I had such freedom as a child. And, you know, it was, it was just a different world. Yeah. What do you feel like that childhood gave you? What do you, what impact do you feel like that had on you? Um, it gave me a sense of confidence that, mm. and as you know, our father, his mantra was whatever the mind of man can conceive and believe it can achieve. How many times were we told that, you know, and it was just oh. this, you know, okay, it's a risky world out there, but go ahead and, and try stuff, try stuff. Yeah. yeah. Just go for it. And yeah. so, and, and I look at my whole life, there have been so many things that I didn't know how to do, but it was a chance. I mean, when I had kids at home, yeah, it was for me to make extra money. I mean, there was a little store, um, that was in a strip mall that got secondhand new clothes that uh -huh. they had a hard time finding somebody that could fix zippers. Well, I'd never put in a zipper. I mean, I think I did in home ec classes in uh -huh. one zipper, uh -huh. and, but it, they offered me the chance to put in these zippers if, and then I could get store credit and get clothes. Oh, so I said, sure, I'll do that. Uh -huh. So I'll go home. I'll unpick these zippers and then I'll know how to put them back in. And so that's what I did. And it, you know, we got a clothing credit at the store because with five kids and only my husband working, yeah. it was tight. Our budget was tight. So yeah. it yeah. was just, you know, I just always found little things to kind of, and I was always like, well, I don't really know how to do that, but I'll tell them I know how to do that. And I'll <laughs> And then if it doesn't work out, yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so tell me about like your uh, teenage years, and your early married years. So my parents were divorced when I was 12. And one other thing that kind of, my mother struggled for years with depression and mental illness. Yeah. And so that was a big factor. There was not a lot of routine in our lives. And I was the oldest and I always felt this um, heavy responsibility for my younger brothers and sisters. And so my basic personality is happy. Mm -hmm. and so it was kind of like, yeah, well, I have to take care of them, but you know, it'll be all right. You know? And it was just, so 
as a teenager, you were born when I was 13. Mm -hmm. And so then- just so, the, just so those watching know, our dad had 10 children, five with his first wife and five with his second wife. And Sherdine is the oldest of first five and I'm the oldest of the second. So that's, we have the same dad and a different mom. Yeah. yeah. And it is funny though, because we all do love each other. But after my parents divorced, then sometimes, I mean, mo for most of the time I lived with my dad and your mom. And in the summer times, we'd go back, we'd go back and stay with my mom. And so there was that constant back and forth. And it was rough having a stepmother. Not that I don't love her dearly because she is like my best friend, but I was a teenager, you know, and I'm sure I was not really young. Yes. And she was young. She's only nine years older than I am. And she married a man that had five children. Yep. And you, right? And then had four more, you know? Yep. So it, it was crazy. And Man, it was, yeah. was kind of rough. And we moved a lot. I went yep. to, I mean, at my 12 years of high school, of schooling, I went to five different elementary schools, two different junior highs and four different high schools. So I was basically in a new school every single year. The thing that that did for me though, was like, okay, I got to get in, make a friend so that I can have a friend for this school year. Cause who knows how long it's yeah. going to Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I became very good at making friends. Um, but I also loved reading. I have all my life loved, loved to read. When did you I figure that out? Well, I remember learning how to read. Really? Yeah. And it was like, this is the most fantastic thing. <laughs> I mean, I just was like, oh, reading. And I used to go to the library and check out stacks of books, stacks of books, and bring them home, picture books. And then when I was about, I don't know, seven or eight, something like that, the librarian said to me, have you ever heard of chapter books? And I was like, no. And she showed me this entire wall of chapter books. And it was That's just adorable. <laughs> That's so great. So all my life I have loved to read. And I've yeah. read thousands and thousands of books. Not all good, but just thousands and thousands of books. Yeah. And I mean, I read at one point in time, I read so many books on Egypt that I uh, could actually read hieroglyphs. And oh I saw- Oh my goodness. Egyptian hieroglyphs on a necklace and I said hey I can read that and I told her what her name was because it was her name in hieroglyphs <laughs> wow so what kind of effect did that have like how did that change you or or kind of shape your life I think what happens when you read a lot mm -hmm. it broadens your world yeah and I didn't read the most fantastic books. I mean, I, I do remember reading Jane Eyre when I was about 12 or 13 years old wow. and loving that book. Yeah. And I read Jane Austen, but I was into romance novels, read a lot of romance novels when I was a teenager, <laughs> but you learn things. I yeah. mean, and I loved historical fiction. So I kind of got into history a little bit. Uh-huh. It gave me a great vocabulary and yeah. it, it just broadens your knowledge and it, yeah. and you become a larger person yeah. because you have more experiences than just your own. Yeah. Wow. That's a profound way to say it. And it does seem like too, that over time, your uh, 
take just because I know, you know, what you read now, what you've read for the last decade or so, it seemed also like fine tuned your taste. You spent more time in higher quality works. And then of course, those have the impact of, those have the impact of causing you to, I don't know, like it broadened your world and all those things that you said too. But when you hire quality works, it also, I find that it builds my character. Yes. You know, makes me more aware of ways I can be better. It tends to make me more aware of my conscience. I very elevated, right? Like the, the quality of, of what I read elevates me as a person too. And I loved English literature. So I did read a fair amount of like Jane Austen and Charles Dickens and stuff like that. And there is in there, they're constantly dealing with issues of morality. And you, I mean, they're, they're humorous in many ways. And the characters, especially in Charles Dickens are, I mean, you could have a novel about each character practically. Yeah. They're funny, but but it also it really does. You learn morals. Yeah. You read books. You learn morals, either good morals or bad morals. Yes. You learn morals. And I yes. think that's why it's so important that we read good books to our children and yeah. and talk about right and wrong and yeah. and morality. Yeah. It, it, it is confusing for children in the world today. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk more about that. You have five kids. Yes. When did you decide or know that you kind of wanted to have a, a bigger family and have that many kids? And... When I read Cheaper by the Dozen, I thought, I'm going to have 12 kids. Just really? Like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I just thought that was the greatest book ever. Yeah. And Oh, I, I mean, uh, it's funny because I babysat all the time. And so yeah. you would that that would make me not want to have children. But all I really wanted to do was get married and have kids. That yeah. was my number one goal all, yeah. all my life. I just wanted to get married and have kids. Yeah. And I think part of what helped me become that is all the babysitting that I did and feeling responsible for my younger brothers and sisters and having to take care of them. Because I think there's a tendency on the part, you know, as a mother, you constantly question yourself. Constantly. Yeah. Am yeah. I being strict? Am I being too lenient? Oh, yeah. And by making this child do this, am I ruining them? You know? Yeah. yeah. But it is good for, I think, for kids to help take care of other kids. Because yeah. I, why I wanted to have kids. And so... I got married and my husband is from his, his mother had four children, but mm -hmm. their family, exact opposite of our family. Mm -hmm. Quiet, very quiet family. Mm -hmm. They have their opinions or their emotions. And you know, our family is the exact opposite. <laughs> we have all our opinions and we have our, you know, we let our emotions go. Yes. Yes. We've tempered that through the years. <laughs> but, yes. Uh, so we got married and, and that's been an, an exciting adventure because we are <laughs> exciting adventure. <laughs> that's awesome. Have that positive twist on it. Yes. Um, so we got married and I was like, well, let's wait a year before we have our first child, you know? Yeah. But the thing about it is, is religion has always, always been 
very important to me. In all of my chaotic childhood with my mother and the divorce and all of that kind yeah. of stuff, one absolute certainty for me was religion. God was real. Jesus Christ was real. And that's where I got. I knew that no matter where we moved or where we went, I could always go to church and I could have that stability in my wow. life. That's awesome. So we decided, yeah, let's, let's wait a year. Yeah. Well, waited about six months and I just finally said to my husband one day, oh, I think we're supposed to have a baby. <laughs> Uh, classic <laughs> and that's kind of how it's been with every one of our children very nice. i'm just like i think it's time to have another child and it's funny because our first two boys are only 15 months apart and our second son got spinal meningitis when he was four months old yeah and he was in the hospital for 10 days and yeah. you know tell you he could be blind or deaf or paralyzed because anything to do with the brain or the spinal cord it could, it could have, you know, repercussions. And so that was a traumatic and very stressful time. And in my husband's world, once you have a bad experience, you never do that again. So he, <laughs> okay, one almost died. We are good to go. <laughs> and I was kind of like, oh, I don't really think so. <laughs> but so I had to, you know, wait and talk with him and kind of my favorite line was well I know we're supposed to have another child so I don't want to die and go to heaven and have someone come up to me and say I was supposed to come to your family but you didn't let me <laughs> I would say to him do you want to do that do want <laughs> <laughs> so, either uh, a lot with it because I mean it was hard for him you know it's hard yeah. for men yeah. The one working, that's a heavy load. Yeah. Uh, we're home doing all the, in the trenches, but they're in their own trench. Yeah. You know, yeah. Having, having to support at one point in time, he was working two jobs, going to school and we had our fourth child. It was madness. I don't know how we did it. It was just. And so you just always, you wanted to stay home? Yes. Yes. I actually had friends who did daycare and at one and for a little while I did some daycare at my house and that was enough to convince me that I didn't want to ever put my kids in daycare. And why do you say that? I mean, I'm a good person and these ladies that I knew that were doing daycare are also good people. Yeah. But this child that's in daycare, they're in they're not in their own home. Yeah. They're like a citizen, you know? the kids that belong in the home are there and I would be hugging on my kids and loving on my kids and I could see the daycare kids and I'm like okay yeah you know and I'll get but it's not the same yeah. it's not them you know and they're playing with someone else's toys and it's hard and I never wanted them to go to like a daycare with lots of kids because I just yeah. thought I may not do that great of a job of being a mom but I'll do a whole lot better than somebody who doesn't even love these kids you yeah. know yeah, so that was my choice, and, and we made sacrifices. You know, we didn't have a, we had one car for the first seven years of our marriage, and we didn't buy our first house until we'd been married for fifteen years, because we just had to save up money and work hard and 
it was tough. I remember when my husband was going to school and working two jobs and we had our fourth child. I remember going to the grocery store and thinking, oh, we can't afford those cookies. And I would have to make, I would make cookies or I would make cake or whatever. But we didn't have any money for extras for cookies or, you know, it was tough. I mean, it was worth it and I wouldn't do it any other way, but it was a sacrifice. Why do you say it's worth it? Because I have no regrets. I don't sit and look back. I mean, I was not a perfect mom by any means, you know? Yeah. I made lots and lots of mistakes, but I was always there. I was there every day, all day. I was there. So you're going along, you're having these kids, you're home full time with them. I mean, I think we, most of us have a sense of kind of day to day what that looks like. But in the meantime, um, what's happening with you, with your own like personal development, what's happening with, you know, the rate, the way that you're raising your children. I mean, how did you kind of get from there to, to mayor? What were some of the experiences along the way where you maybe tuned into some things that, that you were good at? Well, I love our country and our country is like no other country ever in the history of ever. And that has always fascinated me. And I love reading the founding of our country. And I feel like it was divinely inspired. Uh And we have been gifted with this constitution and this form of government that we have. And so what happened was our dad died. Yeah. So your mom married uh, again, a really great guy who was very politically active. Mm -hmm. And so he introduced our whole family into this world of politics. Yeah. Started making me think I probably ought to do something. Yeah. I started getting politically involved when our, well, I was an election judge for years, you know, back in the day when you used to go vote and there's Mm -hmm. those ladies sit there and take your how did you get doing that uh you just apply for it i think i mean i did it when we lived in oklahoma there's just a way for you that you wanted to serve that you felt like you could serve or do something and it's just for a day it's just on a leg yeah so you know when i wasn't nursing a baby or and i could get away for a day then i would do i would be an election judge because it was that's what i thought well I can do one day, one yeah. day, every two years or every year or whatever. Yeah. And so, um, and then it was an election judge. And then I got involved with the Eagle Forum. Mm. It's so easy with the Eagle Forum to be politically involved. Sometimes all they want you to do is call during the legislative session. They just want you to call your legislator or a group of legislators or text or email about a bill. So that was kind of what I did at first. And then when we moved up to Logan, they asked me if I would be a chapter president. And so I did that for a little bit, not for very long, because then I got involved. So the way I got on planning and zoning here was in our city newsletter, they said, 
they were looking for people to help out in the city. And I thought, well, I can do that. And so I called the office and said, I'm willing to help out. So then the next thing I know, the mayor's calling me. And I'm kind of like, oh. And he's asking me these questions. And I just, I wasn't sure why he was calling, but I was just answering. He was asking me questions about how I felt about growth and how I felt about government. And, because I had read, uh, I have read throughout the years, a lot of books on American history. I read a lot of Ezra Taft Benson's books about government. So I did have some ideas and some principles. So I told him a little bit and he said, oh, okay, well, would you like to be on planning and zoning? And that's when it dawned on me that he was vetting me for planning and zoning, you know, to make sure that oh, I would Oh, okay. So I said, sure. So then I got on planning and zoning and then I was on there for almost three years. And then he's actually sent me a text message to the mayor and said, would you like to be like to run for city council? And <laughs> after I stopped hyperventilating, <laughs> thought about it and I asked my husband and I said should I run for city council and he said absolutely not <laughs> now this is just to give context this is all after your kids are grown our youngest was uh, about 12 so while your kids are at home you're doing you're helping yeah with going you go into convention or things like that yeah learning Listen. about governmental principles things like yeah. that, and then the Eagle Forum activity, and yeah. then you start working at a city level when Noel's about 12. Okay. Um, and so I decided to run for city council, and um, we had our little nominating committee, you know, and I said something about property rights. I gave my little speech. You helped me make my little speech for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. And I'm sure it made all the difference. It did. I'm sure. And then, so the thing that freaked me out was we have this developer that lives in our town who is also the um, chairman of the Home Builders Association. And I had some, and I had mentioned that I was very, I was very supportive of property rights because if you don't have property rights, you don't have freedom. And that's basically what I found to. Yeah. So he called me and said, we'd like to donate money to your campaign. He says, I'll be sending you $200. And I said, oh, well, that's nice. And I was totally freaked out. I was just like, oh, is he going to expect something for this? You know, and, <laughs> and, oh, because I'm taking donations, you know. Right, yeah. New to and the so, whole thing. Yeah, and so he says to me, um, you know, you could use this for um, maybe like to buy some a radio ad. Oh. And that totally threw me for a loop because I'm kind of going, do I need to buy a radio ad? You know. <laughs> so, did you have a campaign manager, like, oh, yeah. who was who was helping? You? Like, had you helped in other people's campaigns? Like, no, never done anything like that. Wow. And I had that would have been very helpful. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just totally in a <clears throat> a bewildered state. Like, well, what do I do with this two hundred dollars? You know. And I'm driving around, you know, and at, during the day, kind of thinking. Well, gosh, it would be nice if I knew somebody that had run a campaign or, you know, that, that somebody who knew about these things. Yeah. And I remember I was driving downtown in Logan and there's the, the LDS Tabernacle building is there. And I'm driving past there and I'm like, wait a second. I know somebody who knows everything. I know God. 
Oh, that's awesome. So I'm like, I'll just ask him. I'll just ask Heavenly Father and he'll tell me what to do with this $200. Oh, that's so awesome. So I'm driving my car and I just say this little prayer, you yeah. know, I just ask Heavenly Father, what do I do with this $200? Do I yeah. need to put a radio ad? And a voice comes to me and says, you are going to win because I want you to win. And in my mind, I think of the story of Joshua when he's, he's picking his soldiers to fight and the Lord tells him, do the ones that drink their water like that because it was a tiny little army that was going to defeat this huge army. And I was a tiny little woman who was going to win, but not because of anything that I had done or anything that I knew, but because Heavenly Father was going to let me win. And so for me, that was a wow. doing this for a higher purpose. Yeah. And it's not, it's not for me and it's not about me. It's about serving my country and serving my God. Wow. And, that, and I did win. Then I ran for mayor and Hyde Park City has never in the history of Hyde Park had a woman mayor. Yeah. And so nobody ran against me and here I am. <laughs> How long were you in city council? Four years. I served one term. How, how, much, uh, how much time did that take? Being on city council probably took, we have city council meeting twice a month and everyone on city council had some responsibilities that they have to oversee in the city. I was on the police commission and I was in charge of the city celebration and stormwater. Those were my responsibilities. And probably it took five to 10 hours a week. Yeah. So how did you learn leadership skills? How did you learn how to be a leader? My number one source is the scriptures and studying the savior because he talks in there about whoever is your leader, let him be your servant. The first shall be last and you lead by serving. So that was my number one source. I have had different positions in church, you know, different leadership positions. Although it's funny because I am honestly kind of a goofball. I mean, I love to play video games, as you know. Call me anti-fun because yeah. we get together and we have fun. I yeah. love the fun. Yeah. So responsible is hard for me. That's why it's a good thing I married my husband because he is Mr. Responsibility. So throughout the years, I've learned to be more responsible and he's learned to be more fun and more social. So it's good. Yes, for sure. Good. Being responsible and taking care of things is hard for me. And I just have to break out every once in a while and have fun. So I've studied historical leaders. George Washington, I have studied him a lot. Uh, Joseph Smith, I've kind of studied him. And then there's a few good books that I've read that are all about servant leadership. What are some of the most important principles of leadership that you would say that moms can practice now in their homes to develop their ability to be influential leaders of themselves, of their families, and then perhaps someday in their, you know, communities. Number one is lead by example. 
that is the absolute most crucial principle, I think. So when my, our youngest was in kindergarten, we decided to start homeschooling our kids. And um, we did, I did a lot of studying with the Thomas Jefferson education. And it's all about you as, as uh, the mother teaching, it's all about you do your learning and set an example. I mean, that's, that's the principle, you know, your kids still, still learn, but you have to be learning yourself. And that's yeah. really when I learned how crucially important it is to not only set a good example, but also yeah. to do it with your kids, whatever you're doing, you know, mm. from then on, it was like, it wasn't, you know, go clean your room. It was, okay, we're all cleaning the house, you know, or we're all, you know, it, it's more, you're doing things together yeah, and learning together. Yeah. And then it, it's much more successful that way. But yeah. you it's really practically impossible to teach somebody something that you yourself are not doing. Yeah. We talk about this a lot, and especially in level one, how important it is that we manage ourselves well. So what are some principles of self-management that you feel like you had to learn over time and become better at in order to, to do what you do now and lead an entire city? I had to learn to control myself because I like to have fun. I am a yeah. goof off. Yeah. And, you know, it took me a long time. I had to learn that for having fun is good, but you can't have fun all the time. Yeah. And you have, you have to discipline yourself. That has been something that I've had to work on. And it is interesting because I have always had animals. I've had, we've had dogs and yeah. horses. And when you're on a horse, you can't really force a horse to do anything. You have to try and show them that there's a, a better way. You know, yeah. there's a, there's an easy way and then there's a hard way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you get mad at a horse, it doesn't do any good. You know, they just, yeah. they just back up and they don't learn because they're scared. Yeah. In order for you to control a horse, you have to control yourself. Yeah. And that's also a key principle in parenting and yeah. leadership. Yeah. You can't control others if you can't control yourself. Yeah. Learning to control my emotions and my attitude and being more regular in my scheduling. It's important for me. Having fun is still important for me. And if I get too responsible for too long, it makes me grumpy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I have to do something fun. Yeah. So I'll sit down and play a video game or I'll go yeah. for a horse or I'll, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I also learned that there's three important things. I have to read my scriptures. Yeah. I have to exercise and I have to um, eat, eat well and, and get enough sleep. Yeah. Yep are some gifts that you feel like that you have that you may even have developed more over time that, that enable you to to do what you do I have a happy personality and mm -hmm. I have pretty much always my whole life I've never had any problem our growing up was not ideal 
you know, you have a mother that has depression and doesn't get out of bed a lot. And it has affected my brothers and sisters in different ways. It's affected yeah. all of them to have this ability to just go, oh, well, you know, so mom's in bed again. Well, let's go natural, naturally happy personality. And I really like people. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I've always been kind of a, a clown. I, I like to make people laugh. But I, it dawned on me at some point in my adult life that humor can be cruel. And I decided that I wanted to use my love of people and my happy nature to help other people feel good about themselves mm. and to help, you know, to help people feel more positive about yeah. things and to feel more capable and, and yeah. competent. Yeah. I've been blessed with those things, but I've also had to develop them to, to yeah. serve. That is wonderful. Let me give you this question from Lindsay. So Lindsay says, in the name of public virtue, how much should someone be asked to sacrifice or be willing to sacrifice? I know the founders were willing to sacrifice their lives and fortunes. I'm sure you've made sacrifices to, per to serve publicly too. What have those sacrifices been? Have they been worth it? And how do we know how much we should sacrifice? For Those free. are good questions. Um, because I think in the hierarchy of things, it's God, family, country. Yeah. So your relationship with God is first, yeah. your priority is your family, and then is your country. Mm-hmm everybody is at a different season in their life and everybody is at a different ability. I mean, I watched the interview with Gail Razika. I could never in a million years do what Gail has done ever. I would not have the organizational skills or the fortitude. I mean, yeah. it, you know, and not everybody can be a Gail Razika. Not everybody yeah. can be. I mean, yeah. I'm yeah. that one but the the beauty of it is is you discover what your what you love besides your family what is it that you feel passionate about what do you feel drawn to what do you enjoy learning about and then that's the thing that you can you know do as you feel inspired to do it because for me personally being there for my kids was the most important thing. And I was not willing to sacrifice that time with my children. Yeah. Now I do sacrifice time. I'll tell you a story. I went to California because uh -huh. our oldest son lives in California. So uh -huh. my husband were in California and we were there for a vacation. Well, meanwhile, back in Hyde Park, we're, we've got this, thing this road thing going on with North Logan that's our neighboring city and things are coming to a head and I at, at, during my vacation I had to be available to sign some paperwork so we were in I can't remember some city in California and I'm talking on the phone to the North Logan mayor and we're getting this all worked out and I've got to sign paperwork so I had my family drop me off at Kinko's as I stepped over the poor homeless drugged woman that was laying in the oh. corner and walked into Kinko's 
spent four hours sitting in Kinko's waiting for these documents to come through yeah. so that I sign them and yeah. give them back. That happens periodically. I'll have yeah. my family here. I'll have, or will, it's happened several times we've been on vacation that I had to stop and do something that had to be done for them. Yeah. So I sacrifice time with my family now. Yeah. But they're not here. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just because we're sisters and I've talked to you over the years, I do know there has also been a kind of an emotional cost. There's been some things that have been really emotionally for you in terms of battles that have gone on in the city that have been just really, really tough to navigate. Really, really hard. Yeah, we've had a lot of things. In fact, my new motto is, if it's never happened before in the history of Hyde Park or in the history of the world, it's going to happen while I'm there. <laughs> There's Murphy's Law for you. We've had several lawsuits. We've had a gun incident. And now we have a pandemic, an earthquake. I mean, you name it. It's just, and it has been very hard. The first two years of my term were very difficult. In fact, I was at one point in time ready to give up. Yeah. And I came home from a city council meeting where I felt absolutely defeated and attacked. It was 11 o'clock at night. My husband was in bed and I sat in our recliner bawling my eyeballs out, just sobbing and telling Heavenly Father, I can't do this anymore. I cannot do it anymore. And all of a sudden I felt a presence standing by me and I heard a voice that said, why do you let them do this to you? They have no power over you. And there is a scripture in our Book of Mormon that says, if you keep the commandments, your enemies will have no power over you. And that since has had a whole new, a whole new meaning to me because I realized at that time that not only did they have no power over me because I was mayor, but they had no power over me emotionally only yeah. if I allowed them to. Yeah. I allowed them to have that power over me. And that was a struggle that I had to fight all the time because other people only have the power over you that you allow them to have. Wow. What made you decide to run for mayor? Oh, I prayed about it. You should never pray about things unless you're... <laughs> God will set you up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I just, I, you know, I, I felt like that was yeah. what I needed to do. Yeah. And you won again. Yes. Yes. Wow. So, I know. Um, so here's another question. This is Tracy. She says, what advice do you have for moms wanting to increase their education about current political issues? How do you filter the news? You know, that's a really good question because I have a tendency, I think all of us do have a tendency to get our news from the side we like. Yeah. You know, the side we agree with. Yeah. National news. I don't watch news. I read because I can read so much faster than I can watch videos. Yeah. And I read and I'm on several email lists. Uh -huh. I get a lot of my, in my email. Um, I do have a couple of news sources that they're opposite of what I believe. Kind of interesting to do that. It's infuriating sometimes. 
but how do you feel like it helps you? Why do you, have you chosen to do that? Because we can have one, our views can be one sided. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think we read the opposite side it helps to kind of explain why other people think the way they do. Yeah. And then because you feel like that helps you maybe in your leadership capacity to understand them better, to connect with them better. Yes. Yes. And because one of the things I've learned, a prime ingredient about being a good leader is listening and trying to understand, you know, it's the seven, the seven habits. Yeah. To understand. Yeah. Do you have any specific recommendations for them book wise or wise that might be a place to get started? Well, I loved it. I loved all of Ezra Taft Benson's books. He was the Secretary of Agriculture yeah. and extremely conservative. He would be considered a right-wing wacko now, but he was a staunch uh, constitutionalist. Yeah. And I loved all of his books. The Eagle Forum is a great. Mm. Uh, they're very pro-life. I mean, if yeah. you're, you know, the Eagle Forum has a, a daily. I think it's daily email that you can get and they talk about what's going on on a national level and it is interesting i do have to say one of the reasons i think that people feel powerless is because they feel like no matter what they do it doesn't make a difference yeah and that can be true yeah uh, in in national politics very little that we do makes any difference yeah you can reach out to your own elected representatives. That is the best way to get yeah. your voice heard. Mm -hmm. And and they do listen. People think it doesn't make a difference, but I can tell you as an elected representative, you don't hear from people very much. And so when you do, you pay attention. Wow. Especially on your local level, your yeah. city. Yeah. And in our little town of, of Hyde Park, you know, I tell people all the time, please call me. I want to know what you're thinking Yeah. because I represent you. Our representatives are there to represent us and, and they will listen. They may not always act the way you want them to, but that's, that's kind of the beauty of getting involved with a group. Yeah. Pick a group you're interested in. There's all kinds of good groups. Um, that, and so pick a group that you're interested in, sign up for their emails, and then you can, when they ask you to call, the more people that do it, the bigger impact it makes. And so that's why it's kind of nice to be involved with a group. Yeah. Yeah. And then you probably, you know, and then you feel like you have more influence and power because you're doing it together and you don't feel quite so alone. And Right. Yeah. yeah. This is a, just a kind of a question about kind of about the the mass shutdown is it warranted uh should it have been voted for uh what are some principles of government that just aren't being honored or whatever kind of just a better understanding of like i guess the constitutionalism of all of this and your take on it you know it's such a complex issue i mean i resent everything they're doing just <laughs> resent it to the max and the fact that that our freedoms are being curtailed and I think it's way overblown. I think they've gone way too far. I think they could have done less and still protected people. 
you know, just by social distancing, washing hands, maybe wearing masks. Constitutionally, there is nothing in the Constitution that allows this. There have been rulings by the Supreme Court that allow it, emergency powers that do, that do allow it. So from that kind of an angle, it is, it is allowed by law. But I think it's got to stop soon. It has, it absolutely has to stop soon. And there are restlessness. There is restlessness going on. There are protests that are starting to happen. And I think that's good. I think that especially what needs to happen is the states. Because I live in Utah. We, we have 35 cases in the county that I live in. And, you know, we could open up and be fine. Yeah. Lots of counties that could open up. There yeah. are states, I mean, I am filled with admiration for the governor of South Dakota, who uh -huh. just came constitutionally, I have no authority to do this. So they're just carrying on, you know? Yeah. The basis of our country is each state was supposed to be a little laboratory of democracy and was supposed to do their own little thing and work it out the best they could. And yeah. then those, because that's where, that's where the direct representation happens the best is in yeah. the state, counties, and the cities. Yeah. And where people really can make the most difference. And if you don't like the way your governor's handling it, you can vote them out next time. Yeah. Yep. And get rid of those, those unjust yep. governors. Yeah, good point. All right. I wanted to finish up. We're already at an hour, so we should probably finish up. But um, I had a really fascinating experience with you two years ago now. So I was putting together the Mission Driven Life book and I had been, you know, spent the previous years kind of studying the lives of these different people. And one of the things that I had noticed about people who really felt like they were on a mission for God, who really felt a calling, would talk about some kind of message that they felt like they were supposed to convey. And it was a fascinating experience because I remember we were talking and I hadn't even talked to you about that aspect of it. And you were telling me about a, you were a pretty new mayor, I think. And, and you went to like a, a mother's dinner or banquet or a women's banquet or something like that. And you were speaking or something. And you said, uh, I'd love to have, I can't remember exactly how you said it. I don't know if you remember what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I just wanted you to share with the moms what you shared with those moms, because it really struck me at the time. And it's really stayed with me since then that here you are politically active, you know, planning and zoning and city council and making decisions about, you know, roads and lawsuits and all these things that seem, I don't know, I guess pretty detached from the average life of a stay at home mom, you know, seem, seem kind of out of the realm of our experience. But then what you said to these moms was just so powerful. And you were like, well, yeah, that's, that's my message. So just if you remember, yeah, it sounds like you remember what I'm talking about. So share with, share with these moms what you shared at, at that dinner. So I'm at this, uh, we are at the university president's house, who is a woman. Oh, okay. And, it, and the, the organization is called, uh, some uh, it's a woman's organization and it's all for career women it's for women who okay so as a 
general lot, they're pretty liberal um, in their politics. And I've been going for, I don't know, a year and a half or something like that. And, and we're at this big round table. The room is packed. It's a dining room and there's people along the walls and I'm sitting at the table and the, the university president is at the head of the table and they're talking about how we've got to get these girls at an earlier age to realize that the most important thing they could do is get an education because it's such a tragedy, especially in Utah, that women are starting in college and then they're dropping out so they can put their husbands through college and they're just staying home and being mothers and they're not, they're not fulfilling their education. They're not getting their education. And there was all this talk about, yeah, we've got to get them earlier. We've got to teach them the importance of education because what can they do if they don't get an education and if they just stay home? And I just sat there because I'm one of those women. I went to college for a year, then I got married and I stayed home. And you never finished and your degree? Never finished my degree. And so finally I raised my hand. And you probably and have I the best education in the room, by the way. <laughs> what an education is. Anyway, finish your story. It's really great. So I raised my hand and I said, um, I'm one of those women. And I said, I stayed home, not because that was what my, that was not what my church expected of me. It wasn't because that's what my husband said I had to do. It wasn't because society said I couldn't do anything else. I stayed home because I wanted to be a mom. And I said, I didn't finish my degree and I am now a mayor. And I said, but being a mom was the most important thing I, I, I have done with my life. And I said, it was more important to, to, for me to be a mom than it was for me to be a mayor. And I said, so as we're telling these girls how important education is, can we at least include the option of being a mom as equally important? And I, everyone just kind of went, oh yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> and then back to talking about how important it was that they, <laughs> but I had a couple of people come up to me afterwards and thank me for speaking up and it was scary. My heart was pounding. And I, had a, I had a couple of people come up to me afterwards and thank me because they wanted, they felt like being a mom was important. Yeah, And I talk at, we have a little pageant in Hyde Park for our girls to ride on our float in the parade. And every time I talk there, I tell them, this is the time for women. This is the time for women. We have so many choices, but I tell them, don't forget how important it is to be a mother. Yeah. I remember you telling me at the time, yeah, I mean, people think I'm mayor so I can have political influence, but I'm just mayor so I can tell moms to stay home and be full-time moms. Yes. <laughs> Put your, you know, be a mom, be happy being a mom. It's a short time. I'm 61 years old. Yeah. That time as a mom. Yeah. Just went. Yeah. One of the things that Anne shared with us when she was here a couple of weeks ago, she said that her mom, Phyllis would always say, uh, women can have it all, just not at the same time. Right. And she talked a lot about how, um, it's fascinating for me to hear it now because I'm on a little bit on the other side of the table for the first time in my life that, you know, Blaine's home and I come into an office in the mornings and I cut my days short, but I've never 
you know, and my kids are older like yours were, and I'm more involved in, you know, the community and, you know, businessy or, or world type community type stuff. And, um, and, you know, when this is all said, I'll have kids at home for just, just a very few more years. And, and I think by the time it's all done for me, I would have quote, had it all right. Like I had the full time, all the little babies and had a bunch of kids and, but got to experience, you know, both sides of it. And, and, and Phyllis would say, you know, the mistake isn't thinking that you can do it all at the same time because something's, right. you know, yeah. something's got to give. And it's your kids. It's your yeah. kids. Give. Yeah. Well, Shane, you know how much I admire and love you. I love I'm you. Very, very grateful for time with us today. It's been a joy to hear your story and it's been delightful. I've loved it. Thanks for asking me. Is there any last thing that you would just love any bit of encouragement or words of advice that you would give to, to our moms? Well, I'm assuming that they're all religious. Mm -hmm. Otherwise probably wouldn't be in your group. Yeah. Um, pray, pray to know what God wants you to do and he will tell you and he will support you in that. And there's, and enjoy the time enjoy whatever time you're in i just love all these moms in there in the trenches i just more power to you and i hope they feel empowered and happy and yeah. not oh i can never do that because you can do something you know yeah. i can never be gail razika maybe you feel like you can never be me not everybody should be a mayor it's freaking hard <laughs> you know yes. service good and you can do what god wants you to do that's right it's important the work he has for you that's right do it yep. all righty love you lots thanks love for you. joining us talk to you later hey okay. bye-bye have, have a great night thanks see ya <laughs>